Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we go deep into mining news, hot topics, and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International and Mining International Executive, a leading global mining recruitment and headhunting agency. Hi, mining community. Welcome back to another episode of the Dig Deep, the Mining Podcast. And today's guest is Paul Cronin, who's the MD and CEO of Adriatic Metals, a listed precious and base metals explorer and developer that owns the world-class Berries Silver Project in Bosnia um, and have another zinc deposit in Serbia. Uh, Paul's background is in corporate finance, investment banking, funds management and commodities trading. Um, and he is the, the co-founder of Adriatic Metals. Um, and he's going to talk to us about uh, their journey um, in developing this world-class polymetallic underground mine in Eastern Europe um, and what it's going to bring to uh, the region. So that's welcome, Paul, to the podcast. How are you doing, Paul? You're yeah, good, Rob. Thanks for having me. No, appreciate your time as well. Uh, I know you're, you're very busy. So for our audience that may not know you, just wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about your, your career, your background. Um, and then we can talk about Adriatic Metals. Sure. So I've um, I've been working in Europe probably most of my career, actually, um, starting uh, with Philip Morris in Switzerland back in uh, 1998 uh, and uh, and working in the city um, as a commodity trader and originator, uh, fund manager and investment banker. Um, uh, I've always sort of taken a, a keen interest in European resource projects because there's not very many. Um, uh, but you can have a look at them and you can see you can see a trend that uh, Europe was starting to sort of come to a realization that um, that it was going to have to start producing raw materials um, either from within Europe or, or near shore opportunities. Uh, and I think that really is why I started Adriatic Metals. Um, and I discussed it with my uh, business partner. We were presented an opportunity to look at some assets um, in the Balkans. Uh, this one here in Bosnia uh, came up. We acquired it in 2017, and we've been working on it ever since. Um, you know, it has progressed very quickly um, uh, from, you know, effectively acquisition to discovery uh, through to production next year. Um, so it's been an exhausting five years, and I've, um, you know, I've been living out in Bosnia now for nearly two years. Um, COVID didn't leave me a lot of choice um, if I was going to be able to keep the project moving forward during those lockdown periods. Uh, I had to be here to do it, um, and so you know, no regrets. I've, I've, I've loved my time here in Bosnia. It's a beautiful place. Uh, you can see from the image behind me. That's a photo from just from our office in. Uh, uh, in the fall, um, uh, but I think uh, you know Bosnia has a lot of great attributes, um, uh, but nothing's you know nothing's easy in a European context. You've got to do things very differently from what you do in the rest of the world. Yeah. Before we talk about Adriatic Metals, what's it like living in Bosnia? As you mentioned, you've been out there for a few years living. What what mm. what what's the I suppose what's it like living out there, um, especially if you're an expat. And move into that country. Uh, look, it's it, it's good. I think um, you know, firstly, the people here are so friendly and and, and so accommodating. Um, you know, no one gives you any trouble. Uh, very welcoming of, of foreigners and very welcoming of tourists. 
Um, uh, obviously, Bosnia is not the most developed economy in Europe, um, so there are certain frustrations that you've got to work through. Um, you know, trying to you know get your residency permit, um, have your bank account address change. These things tend to take longer than they actually should. Um, but overall, it, you know, it's a very it's a very um, vibrant place. It's got great culture, great history, wonderful people, um, beautiful scenery. If you love skiing, if you love mountain biking, hiking, uh, this is the place to be if you can't afford to live in Switzerland, um, and I can't. Um, uh, but uh, but also, you know, it's very close to the coastline. It's only, you know, it's just I was down on the... Um, on the Adriatic coast this weekend with the kids, um, three and a half hours drive, uh, and you you know you're on the most beautiful coastline in the world. Um, so I just wanted you to just tell us, give us an overview of Adriatic Metals. Obviously, you said that you started the the company five years ago. So just wonder if you can walk us through that that journey to sort of present day. Yeah, so we we acquired a um, a Bosnian company called Eastern Mining. Um, we acquired that from a Bosnian Australian lawyer. Uh, who picked it up a number of years earlier, but had been unable to gain any interest in investing in it. Um, it came with two assets. Uh, one was an old open pit that had been in production uh, in the 1980s, uh, prior to the breakdown of the former Yugoslavia. Um, uh, that was okay. We, we kind of liked to look at that. There was an instant uh, resource there. If you wanted it, go and put in a few confirmation holes and you're, you're away. Um, but what we were really interested in was in uh, a deposit that they'd started exploring in the late 1980s um, called Rupitsa. Now, Rupitsa, as the crow flies, was about 12 kilometres away from Beerbatch at the old open pit. Um, there wasn't a lot of data about it. There was a lot of geologic interpretation. Um, and if you work with enough geologists over time, you realise there's multiple geologic interpretations of everything. Um, uh we wanted to understand it more we did some inquiries we we ended up um, spending quite a bit of time in the geologic institute in sarajevo um looking at what had been done we trawled through other archives in former um yugoslav capitals so belgrade and Ljubljana, um and we just started to piece together a puzzle and as we we're doing the due diligence we started to realize that they're probably onto something here um and if you look through most old Yugoslavia projects, that they did a lot of um, detailed geochemistry, geophysics, um, mostly IP more than, than anything more expensive or sophisticated. Um, uh, but when they drilled, they only really drilled shallow. They didn't really drill deep. Um, uh, and what we'd seen in one of the holes, which was a vertical hole, uh, was that it ended in mineralization. And according to the log, which is a paper log, uh, it ended in about uh, you know 20% zinc. Uh, and that was starting to be a bit fascinating. And we'd seen other holes that had a little bit of gold in there, um, uh, but mostly it wasn't a save for gold and silver uh, or, or, or indeed copper. Um, so we thought, you know, this, this is worth a punt. Um, uh, we bought it. Um, we drilled it in, well, we certainly drilled out the, the old open pit at Beerbatcher straight away. We were drilling that. We closed the deal in March. We were drilling in April. We then drilled up at Rapitza uh, in August that year. And our first hole up there hit about 64 metres um, at about 35% zinc equivalent. 
Um, and so that really got us sort of quite excited about what we potentially had there. Um, we were all, it was a private company at this point. It was all being funded um, uh, largely by a small number of people, including myself. Um, uh, and we we drilled another seven holes of, of those seven, six hit thick high-grade mineralisation. Uh, but it was expensive exploration up there. I mean, you, you have to do a lot of earthworks to get a drill pad um, because of the topography, um, you know, land access fees were expensive. Uh, so we uh, we made the decision that we'd take the company public and um, uh, we basically did all of the work for that um, uh, and we listed the company on the ASX in, in May 2018. Um, and I was going to go on to my other question because obviously you're not just listed on the ASX, you're also listed on the LSE as well. Um, mm. What's the reason behind the multi-listing? Well, I think for a British company, um, you know, to list on the ASX is probably a little bit unusual. Um, however, the ASX uh, investor base has a much greater exploration risk appetite. Uh, and whilst we were pretty sure about what we had there with those seven drills, we still, you know, had a lot of work to do. We needed to raise a reasonable amount of money. Um, we decided that that was the best place to list initially and, and register our shares as as chest depository instruments on, on the on the Australian stock exchange. Um, the ASX is also a lot cheaper to list the name um, uh, because the exchange is more you know, geared up um, to you know to early stage companies. Um, however, um, by the end of 2018 and into sort of early 2019, um, with the expiration success that we had, it was very clear to me that, that Adriatic was going to be a producing company, Rapitza was going to be a producing asset. Um, the grades, the size just ticked all the boxes. So even though we put out our maiden resource in, in, in 2019, um, we knew at that point we had sufficient tons to make a project work. Um, we didn't stop drilling, we kept drilling. Um, uh, but at that point, when you're starting to think, well, okay, we're well, a British company, um, we're going to have to raise some capital uh, to put this together. The ASX, you know, is a, is a good exchange. You can raise decent dollars down there. Um, but we are in a European jurisdiction. We're a British company. It made sense to go to the LSE, and we made that decision uh, in mid-2019 and, and listed on the LSE uh, under the standard list uh, in December 2019. Um, and so since then, if we look at the way the two exchanges have behaved, we're still getting more liquidity on the ASX. Um, uh, and that's, I think that will continue for quite some time. Uh, but what we are seeing is a major shift in our registry, particularly since our last project development capital raised, uh, toward UK funds. And what we're now starting to see is UK generalist funds accumulating stock ahead of an expected dividend in a couple of years' time. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, that certainly makes, uh, makes sense. Um, so just want to even give, give us a, an overview of mining in Bosnia. Um, I suppose a lot of our audience are, who are all obviously around the world <laughs> may not necessarily know Bosnia as a mining jurisdiction, although I know they have had a coal mining industry. So just wanted to just give us a brief overview of the mining industry in Bosnia. 
Uh, look, I mean, Emperor Constantine was mining in Bosnia um, back 2,000 years ago. Um, <coughs> the, the industry has seen mining throughout the Roman era, the Ottoman era, the Austro-Hungarian era. Um, since the Yugoslav era commenced, um, you know, back in the late 1940s, there hasn't really been a lot of um, metal mining. Um, it's really been focused on coal. There is one other hard rock um, lead zinc mine uh, operating near Srebrenica. That mine's been in operation for decades. Um, the coal mining industry is quite large here. There's a, a number of operating coal mines. Um, electricity is one of Bosnia's biggest exports. Um, and so it does have a, a mining industry. It does have mining code. <coughs> Excuse me, that was all based on the, the old Yugoslav um, era. Um, but they haven't put into production a new hard rock mine, um, you know, since Biavacha was developed in, in the 1970s. So that's been some challenging. You know, we've got to do a lot of people development. We've had to do a lot of engagement with communities uh, and with government uh, to, excuse me, to help people understand exactly what it is we're doing. And I think that's something we've done, you know, pretty well. Do you want to stop for two minutes? It's got a bug in the throat. <coughs> that's all right. I stupidly decided to eat chilli pot noodles for lunch. <laughs> and I reckon it's, it's just lurking in the back there. <laughs> yeah. No, that's all probably, right. Pro probably with a big dose of MSG around it. <laughs> we can cut all this bit out. So that's fine. Yeah. <coughs> Are you um, ready? Yeah, all set. Um, the operation is in construction at the moment, um, and I understand obviously all personnel are residential on site. Um, what made you come to that decision and maybe not consider any uh, fly-in, fly-out uh, positions for uh, maybe some of the expats? Well, we do we do have two positions that are fly-in, fly-out. Um, they are temporary ones on the construction team. Um, uh, but you're right, all of our other staff are residential. Um, you know, firstly, of our 150-odd staff here, um, we only have 13 non-Bosnians. Everybody else is local. Um, you know, we brought those in from the construction industry, from the mining industry, um, uh, from consultancy firms, et cetera. Um, but the decision to get the majority of our, our leaders and our expat staff here in Bosnia was about transfer of knowledge um, in both directions, quite frankly. Um, it was about them understanding uh, the regulations, which are a little out of date, okay? They don't, they don't uh, correlate well to what we're used to in jurisdictions like Australia and Canada. Um, so there was that in terms of the transfer of knowledge. There was the transfer of language knowledge as well. Um, our, uh, our natural English-speaking staff must learn Bosnian and our Bosnian staff must learn English. Um, so we try to improve that relationship and get that team working cohesively. Um, but it was also about, you know, we, we told the market we're going to do something um, uh, and we're going to do it. We, you know, we said we would have this construction completed um, in, in Q2 next year, and we will do that. But there's no way you're going to be able to do that 
In the same way, there was no way we could have got it through all the permitting and all the DFS and everything if I was sitting in in uh, in Cheltenham. Um, you know, you need people here to have the urgency to do that job. Um, and there's a much stronger buy-in from your staff when they're residential, when they're just living and breathing what they're doing. Um, yeah, there's much better interaction with the local community. Um, it also having residential staff means that our local town um, enjoys the benefits of their spending money there. You know, kids go to school, shopping, um, eating out, coffees, etc. cetera. Um, all of these things help maintain our social license. And we spend a lot of time and a lot of money developing that social license and we don't want to lose it. Um, and so if you look at our total staff now, about two-thirds of them actually live in the local town. And I think that's great. I mean, this is a town that was at its peak about 23,000 people. It's now about eight. Um, and the most people have left through lack of opportunity. Uh, it is an old mining town. And, uh, you know, certainly the mayor and a lot of the members of the municipal council uh, have aspirations of it becoming a very prosperous mining town again. And, um, you know, I think we can say with quite a high degree of confidence that that, that is going to happen. Um, uh, and it's pretty exciting to be part of it, actually. I, I'm enjoying it here. Yeah. What challenges do you see in developing the local, uh, the local workforce um, in, within, I suppose, in Bosnia? And do you, do you have any sort of relationships with some of the local colleges and universities for sort of more skilled staff? So we we made a decision to recruit graduates or, or postgraduates um, uh, and train them up and teach them new skills. It hasn't been hard to do that. These guys are very bright. They work hard. They're really interested in learning. Um, but we do recognise that, you know, there is a big difference, particularly on the front end of our operation, uh, where, you know, hard rock polymetallic mining with grade variability and mineralogical variability is very different to coal mining, uh, which is much more uniform. Um, uh, so we, you know, we have had to develop those skills um, and we've done that through very extensive investments in, in human resources um, in terms of both its function, its process, uh, but also in training, whether that's virtual reality, simulator-based, classroom-based, uh, on-the-job training, personal development plans, et cetera. Um, so that has been a challenge for us. Um, I think it will continue to be a challenge where, you know, we're trying to instill a set of values that some of these kids wouldn't have seen before. They're, you know, probably observing their, their parents so that their working careers may not have observed before. Um, and so we're really starting at grassroots to try and build not just a workforce for the Adriatic metals here, but I think what is almost certainly going to be the rebirth of the exploration and mining industry in Bosnia. Yeah, no, it's great to hear. Um, how are your relationships with the, the local communities? Obviously, you've mentioned uh, certain things. Um, also, obviously, the local government and government in sort of building this new mine in a country that probably hasn't built a mine or hasn't built a mine in decades? Yeah, look, I think our relationship is very good. Um, at the local community especially, um, there is a almost a symbiotic relationship now between the community and the company. Um, we constantly advise them what we're doing, 
they constantly give us feedback. The majority of that's really positive. Occasionally it's negative and we deal with those uh, those concerns um, very seriously. Um, but I think generally, if you went down and walked down the street of Barish and asked someone what they thought of the company, they'd speak of it very positively. Um, you know, we do get involved in a number of community initiatives. We have our, our rubbish pickup day with the, with the local scouts groups and go off and, you know, just pick up rubbish out of the rivers and whatever for tourists that have driven past and, you know, chuck their drink bottle out. Um, uh, we also do a lot of tree planting around the place, um, again, with other with other groups that are interested in seeing, uh, you know, the environmental um, uh, reclamation of some of the historical industrial activity here resolved. Um, we set up the Adriatic Foundation, which is a charity that invests in education. Um, at the moment, you know, we offer scholarships to kids in uh, Barish and Kalkin, uh who struggle on just getting to school. And if they do get to school, you know, perhaps not having a hot meal, uh, et cetera. Um, so that's been well received. And we've also just started English lessons uh, in the town to anyone who wants them. Uh, we thought we'd probably get about 30 people sign up to that. We've got nearly 300, um, uh, which is great. And it's those people that are now utilising the microfinance relationships that we've created with a number of Bosnian institutions to provide financing to set up new businesses that will supply us. And um, and I think, you know, I keep saying it's about sustainability, it's about sustainability. The You know, we're focusing on the environmental sustainability through very disciplined um, assessment of our environmental impact and management of it. We're focusing on our community issues. We're focusing on our economic contribution, both through almost voluntary taxation that we pay into the foundation that, that invests in a number of these key areas that the town needs. But the biggest um, uh, sustainable uh, output from this project is actually the way we're developing those young people who would have ordinarily finished school, gone off to Sarajevo or Belgrade or somewhere for university and never come back. And I meet dozens of them um, here all the time, particularly in the summer holidays when they come back to see their parents. And they're like, gee, I wish, you know, there was an opportunity like this five years ago or 10 years ago. What we're now finding is that they're leaving their well-paid jobs in Munich and Vienna and London, uh, in Perth, and they're saying, do you know what, mate, we'd like to come back. And it means we've probably got to pay a little bit more in terms of wages to get them back. Um, but what we're doing is we're taking that diaspora and all the skills that they've developed in their time abroad and we're bringing it back into Bosnia. And that is going to have a profound impact, not just in the mining industry, but across many industries in this country where I think there is huge potential for growth um, if it has access to capital and the people who know what they're doing. And, um, uh, you know, that's one part of the reasons why I think Bosnia's got such a bright future in Europe. Um, you know, it's rich in natural resources um, uh, and it's and it's already demonstrating its ability to to exploit those, exploit it in a really safe and positive way, and uh, and make a, a contribution. You know whether it's to exportation of electricity to Croatia uh, and Montenegro, or it's exportation of coal into Serbia. Um, uh, this country has the ability to become a manufacturing hub 
um, through its low energy costs. And I think that puts it in a really strong position with a with an abundance of natural resources to be almost that near shore and opportunity that the EU is actively stating that they're looking for. Um, uh, so we are we are well liked in the way we put that together um, at a local level, a federal level. Uh, look, I don't think we were even on the radar until probably a year ago. Um, uh, but I've had a number of meetings with with several federal politicians, including the Prime Minister, who comes to our company events and speaks, um, who speak very favourably about the company, the way it does things, the values that it demonstrates. Um, you know, we are we are a British public company. We're a member of the Quoted Companies Alliance. We have very strong governance processes, and they respect that. They respect that, and that's the type of investor that the Bosnian government wants to see here. And so we do get held up. We win, we win a number of awards and investment of the year last year. Um, uh, obviously, the, the Prime Minister was quoted in the Financial Times last year speaking very positively about the company and uh, and the industry here. So we have done that aspect really, really well. Um, and I think it's something that we can replicate in other jurisdictions across Europe. Certainly, we're doing the same thing in Serbia with our, with our zinc-led uh, deposit there. Um, uh, and as we look to acquire more projects in the future, we'll take that same formula of, you know, sustainable approach, working toward the aspirations of our communities um, and apply it so that we can, you know, get a social licence to operate different projects in Europe. Because I do think there is a fundamental need for Europe to develop that own, its own supply chain. It, it just cannot solely rely on Canada, the US and Australia um, because Africa is becoming more difficult um, and certainly Russia um, as a key source of European metals is now almost entirely cut off. Um, with um, obviously the economic and political challenges uh, you're, you're probably facing with the current world events, um, how has this affected your business um, and, and Adriatic Metals and how do you see it playing out um, over the course of the, the next yeah. year or so? Well, we've certainly seen inflation. Um, there's no doubt about that. Um, you know, I think generally across the board of our items that we're procuring internationally, we're seeing about 10% inflation, and, and that's all uh, locked in, so it is about 10% inflation. Um, but the one that's hurt us the most has been diesel. You know, we're doing a... Uh, a large construction project that has a huge civils element. We're building a 25-kilometre road. Um, that requires diesel uh, and lots of it. Um, and we've been able to minimise the amount of, um, <clears throat> of movement of material to reduce our diesel consumption. Uh, but at the end of the day, if you look at the reasons why we're going to come in, you know, slightly above budget, it's because of the diesel. Um, so that's been difficult to manage. Um, there's very little I can do to control it. I mean, I can pre-purchase diesel um, in certain quantities, um, but I can't, uh, you know, I can't pre-purchase every single litre of diesel I'm going to need for the entire development. Um, uh, but I think generally, you know, electricity prices haven't really changed here in Boston. They, they will next year, but they haven't changed so far. Um, uh, so that's been that's been a real positive for us. 
um, you know, the benefits of having a government-owned, vertically integrated energy company from coal production, hydroelectricity production, um, through to through to retail, um, is they work on a cost plus basis. And I think a lot of our local suppliers are still working on a cost plus basis as well, which is why we haven't had a huge amount of exposure to inflation that you may have seen in in projects that are being developed in South America or Africa, for example. Um, uh, so yeah, we're kind of lucky in that regard. The politics of Bosnia, you know, it's a it's a politically complex place. I'll, I'll be the first to admit it. Um, uh, you can try and understand it at, at your peril. Um, I think for most foreigners, you don't have a hope in understanding all the political machinations of this country and this region. Um, uh, all you've got to take comfort on is that people here just want to get on with their lives um uh and develop prosperity and and that is happening um you know uh, the, the politicians will eventually get out of the way um of, of that uh but i you know i enjoy my time here I, I love the fact that you know on a saturday morning if i want to i can throw on the you know grab the ski suit and in 20 minutes i can be on the slopes I mean, it's a great place to be i um i don't get worried about the politics of the place and i you know the politics change depending on on who you talk to at any one time of day. Um, and as a conclusion, just wondering if you can just give us a, an outlook of the next sort of six to twelve months, um, and any final thoughts that you may have. Yeah, look, I mean, the next six months are going to be very busy. Tomorrow, uh, we are laying the uh, footings uh, on our plant. Um, so, so that all commenced. So we've been busy working on the underground mine and. Um, we're making very good progress on the declines. We're down now over 120 metres on a 370 metre advance. So uh, we'll hit the the ore body you know, at the current rate probably around uh, the end of October. Um, uh, the work up there is progressing very quickly, um, possibly even a little bit too quickly. You might need to slow it down a little bit um, to sort of make sure that everything is aligned in terms of all road construction and plant construction. Um, uh, so it's going to be a busy six months as we as we continue to deliver that. You know, by the end of February, I, I expect to have an almost entirely constructed plant ready for commissioning. Um, my mine will have been producing ore and stockpiling at its surface. My haul road will be largely complete. Um, uh, and I'll be bringing in a you know a commissioning team to commission the plant and, and commence production in Q2. So a lot will happen in the next six months. Um, uh, and um, you know, I think uh, my expectations for the team here and for the company is that the next six months will basically define us. Um, it will define who we are. It'll define. Uh, that we are a company that delivers what it says it's going to deliver, um, largely on budget and on time. Um, but what we will have developed along that journey is a group of people here that are capable of delivering this year over and over again. Um, and I think that gives us a great platform, um, not only for organic growth within our current exploration programs here in Bosnia, which is progressing extremely well, um, uh, but also within organic, inorganic growth, where we are actively uh, looking uh, at acquisitions. We recently hired 
um, uh, someone to look at our strategic uh, growth and look at a number of opportunities and we'll be looking to execute on those next year as well. Um, so I think you'll see Adriatic Metals go from being what it was in 2017 was a, a newly incorporated company with ambitions of acquiring a project um, in Europe um, to potentially a multi-site mid-tier player um, by the end of 2025. Yeah, I've got one more question. Um, if any of our audience uh, are, are investors, um, what would you say to them and why should they invest in Adriatic? Uh, look, I think I, I speak to our investors a lot. Um, we're kind of in that dead zone of the Lausanne curve at the moment. Where there's not a lot happening and I know that it's getting boring. I mean, I wake up every morning and have a look at the share price and see it hasn't moved. But um, uh, but I am very happy with the progress we're making on the site. I think we were wise in the way we both structured and, and the timing and quantum of our project financing. Uh, gave us sufficient resources to see this through. So um, what I would say to them is be patient. Um, uh, the ore is coming and um, and once that comes, uh, you'd expect the share price increase to come with it. Um, yeah, we are seeing obviously volatility in commodity markets at the moment. Silver's down a bit. Zinc is, is I mean, it's ready for, for a bit of a rocket, I think, um, you know, we are we are seeing that arbitrage between China and Europe close. Um, yeah, as whilst we might see some, you know, the TCs increase, uh, the zinc the zinc prices increasing uh, well ahead of that, and I think uh, you know zinc will end up being our biggest uh, contributing uh, uh, metal in um, in twenty twenty three and twenty twenty four. Paul, really appreciate your time. It's a great story. Um, you starting, obviously starting the, the company and seeing your journey to where you are today. Wish you well for the future. Um, perhaps you can come on the podcast next year and uh, give us an update. Um, be more than obviously more than welcome you to come on. I'd love to, Rob. Thanks very much. Yeah. Um, for those, um, and I was going to ask if anyone wants to find out more information uh, around Adriatic Metals, um, how can they go about doing that? Do you use social media at all? Does Ajatic use social media at all? Yeah, we're on social media, on, on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram. We have a website. Um, uh, and you're welcome to call our investor relations team uh, in London uh, who will be able to answer any questions you have. Yeah, I'll include all of those in the show notes for the company this anyway. Um, so, again, really appreciate your time, Paul. Uh, for those that are listening, what a great story um, Ajatic have gone through, and I'm sure they're going to, um, succeed in building a world-class asset in uh, in Bosnia. Um, so do watch out for do watch out for their their journey. Um, appreciate you guys for listening. Hope you can share this episode amongst others around the world. Um, keep sharing. I really appreciate your continued support. And until next time, happy mining. Thank you for listening. Remember to reach out to Rob via the show notes, and be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Until next time, happy mining, helping each other to improve the mining industry.